Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Today we'll discuss trials and tribulations for Christians, our sanctification process, loving others, and Christ's return. So if you'll open your Bibles up to the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't I open this up in prayer? Our Father in heaven, I thank you once again for this group. It is the highlight of my week to gather together with all these men, and I'm just so blessed to have this group. I thank you, and we all thank you for the opportunity and also the graciousness of the law firm who gives us the space to meet here in downtown Austin. We're so thankful for that. I ask today, Father, that you just speak to each one of us in the way that we need to hear. Let it be your words, not my words. Just guide our discussion and help us each walk away from the discussion today with something that we're going to be focused on to continue to change and become more Christ-like. And we ask all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We left off in chapter 2 last time. And just by way of refresher, where we left off in chapters 1 and 2, Paul discussed and showed us the concern and care that he has for the congregation there as a faithful pastor of them. He showed how thankful he was for them. He showed the appreciation that he had for their testimony. You remember we saw in chapter 1 that that congregation there, the Thessalonians, they were doing such a good job of getting the gospel out to everyone That was helping where Paul wasn't having to spend so much time in his ministry doing it. He was very encouraged by their testimony. He was encouraged because of what he heard about their growing faith. We saw in both chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Paul certainly expressed his love for them and he longed to be with them. As you recall, he was run out of town when he got there by some of the false teachers and persecutors. Some of the Jewish people, they ended up running him out of town. And so we'll see a little bit more of that today. He still longs to come and see them, this church that he started there in the congregation. He longed to see, were they growing or were they also being influenced in a negative way by the false teachers and the persecutors? So we'll see that. What we'll see today in chapter 3 is Paul is really going to reveal his pastor's heart for the people there in the congregation. He has affection for them. We'll see the sacrifices that he makes for them. He has compassion for them. He wants to protect them. He delights in just thinking about them and wanting to see them. He certainly has gratitude for them. And I think the very important thing, at least for me, that really resonated with me is how much Paul actually prays for them as an intercessor for them. And that's what we ought to do for the people that we know and love and care about. We ought to be praying about them. So why don't we begin in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, so that's Paul's way of saying what I've just discussed with you in chapters 1 and 2. He's been talking about all the persecution that's been happening, both to them and to him. He says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. So he could no longer bear not knowing about their spiritual condition since he was run out of town. He hadn't finished his ministry to them, and he was concerned about them. In fact, we looked, I think, a couple of lessons ago at 
all that Paul had gone through, including imprisonment, accused falsely, persecution. But he was more concerned about them than he was his own trials and his own persecution that he was going through. His focus was on them. And what we're going to see, and well, let me read verse 2 and then I'll come back. He couldn't endure it any longer. He wanted to know how they were doing spiritually. Verse 2, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's follow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen, so to help their faith mature, and to encourage them as to your faith. So Paul ended up sending Timothy, who was a young protege of Paul, who was with him. He sent Timothy to go and check on them because Paul was prevented from going there. I know we started out, Paul was with Silas and Timothy when he's writing this, and it's not clear if Silas went with Timothy. It's believed that maybe Paul actually sent Silas to Macedonia and perhaps Philippi, because if we go back over to Acts 18.5, and we won't do that now, you'll see that then they're all back there together. Luke and Silas and Timothy are there together. So it's not clear how they all got there, but It's clearly here that Paul sent Timothy to the folks in Thessalonica to check on them and see how they were doing. And by doing that, that then left Paul alone in Athens. That's where he was referring. He thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Even though Timothy was his beloved protege and certainly benefited Paul tremendously in Paul carrying out his ministry, He longed for them so bad, he wanted to know how they were doing spiritually, so he sent Timothy to them. And we pick back up in verse 3, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. So these are the persecutions from the unbelieving Jews and the false teachers that were there persecuting the Christians. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So Paul's saying he's going through the same trials as they are. All Christians have trials That's just part of the program. We're going to have tests to test our faith. We're going to be persecuted by others. That's just the deal. Let me show you, because even Jesus told us that. I'm going to take you over to Matthew 5. I'll just go over there real quick. This isn't a long passage. Let me show you this. Matthew 5, 11. And here Jesus says, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you go back in the Old Testament, even the prophets were persecuted, many of them killed. That's just to be expected. And then I'll show you another verse. It's over in John 16:33, and I'll go over there real quick. These things I've spoken to you, that in me, that's talking about Jesus, you may have peace. Jesus is what brings us peace because it's by placing our faith in Jesus Christ that Jesus has made things right between us and God the Father. We now can come directly to God the Father because of what Jesus has done. Before that, we were just mired in our sin. We were separated from God, but now Jesus makes it possible for us to have that peace. We know our sins are forgiven. We know that we have eternal life. But even with that, look what he says. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's just part of the deal. We're going to have it. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So even our light affliction that we go through, we go through difficult times. I can tell you the last couple of weeks, 
for whatever reason, Satan and his army are attacking me unbelievably so. I don't know what is up. I have no idea. I know everybody goes through stuff, but let me just give you a short list of what I've been dealing with, okay? I got hit by lightning. My power pole got hit by lightning. I told you this. The lightning came into my house, burned up every piece of electronics I have anywhere, okay? That's just the beginning. Lightning in the same little brief moment of five minutes of lightning, there was no lightning before or thunder and no lightning or thunder afterwards. Hit a tree over by my pool, blew up the coping off the side of my pool, okay? These are high-level problems I recognize. Then on top of all that, so I've been dealing with just trying to get my internet back up, my systems back up. Last week, instead of electrical, it was plumbing. My pump that puts water into my house blew up. I have five leaks all over the place, water going all over the place. Not easy to get to, one under the house. I mean, it's just like, okay. And that's just a very short list. I got other electrical problems that are now being discovered as I get other things up and running. I don't know what's going on, and I could go on and on. But we all got problems, and when they come, I will have to say, because of this group and the encouragement that you all have been given, and we've been talking about these trials, I've just said, God, I don't know what you're up to. Maybe I've upset Satan with some of the talks that we've been doing that are being broadcast out there. I don't know, but I'm taking it that this is the test of my faith, and I'm not running away from you. I know you got it. This is light affliction. This is no big deal. My poor neighbor in the same storm, his house got hit by lightning right after mine, and his house caught on fire. No, I didn't have that. So in any event, you don't want to come around my house right now. All right, got it. Uh, Okay. Uh, so James 1 tells us, consider it pure joy. <laughs> Perseverance. Yeah, I haven't gotten to the joy, but I am persevering. <laughs> the joy will wow. come. And, wow. and that is, that is wow. what Paul is talking about here, is wow. that, you know, when we go through these little things, just realize this is light affliction. Oh. I mean, this... This is nothing. In Thessalonians, he's talking about looking forward to the rapture that we'll talk about and the second coming of Christ. Look, things are going to be great. Yeah. This is nothing. This is nothing. It's just a pain in the you-know-what, but this is nothing. So let's get back to the text. Sorry, I got a little exercise, but I feel better. Thank you. Okay. I'm in verse 3. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions... For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So yes, I'm destined. We're all destined for these trials and tribulations. Verse 4, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. And that's what I say. It's like, Jesus, you told me there were going to be times of tribulation, and I'm living it. And Paul had warned them in advance that that's what he was going to endure and that they were going to have to endure it as believers as well. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, meaning he could endure no longer not seeing them and not knowing how they were doing in their faith, he said, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter, meaning Satan, might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. So Paul had this tremendous concern for them, even though he was going through his own trials and testing and persecution. He wanted their faith to grow because he had been run out of town before he finished ministering to them. 
and he didn't want them to be negatively influenced by the false teachers and by Satan and his army. And he didn't want his original ministering to them to be in vain, to be pointless, to be without meaning. You can look over in Acts 20 where he warned them before. Let me just go over there. I'll go over to Acts 20 real quick. I'll start in verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Then this is Paul speaking in verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And by the way, this disciples, this isn't the 12 apostles. These are followers of Christ. This is describing exactly what's going on in our churches today. There are many denominations, some that have split, some that are about to split, because you got part of the leadership of those denominations saying, yeah, yeah, you know, some of these verses don't really apply anymore. You don't need to worry about them. And the other part of the denomination is saying, no, no, God's word doesn't change. It still applies. And you know what I'm talking about, everything from homosexuality to adultery, fornication, living together, just go down the list. And there's pastors that are doing this. And these are the false teachers that Paul is warning us about. And let me just say, I'm going to just take a little sidebar, and I normally don't do this because we've got lots of different denominations represented not only here in our group, but also those who are listening to the podcast I just ask you, if you are at a church that you are attending right now and you know in your heart that some of the things that the church leadership stands for are not biblical, I ask you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, is that where you need to be or do you need to be somewhere different? I've left two denominations because of false teaching in those denominations, and I'm so glad that I did it. It was like a breath of fresh air to get to a church that teaches the Bible. And there are lots of people who I feel so bad for them. They are very religious, meaning they think they're doing what God and Jesus wants them to do. And they are just being led astray because what that leadership is teaching is not within the scope of the Bible. Okay, it's been added to. It's tradition, it's sacraments, it's things that have been man-made that are not in keeping with what Scripture says. And so I'm so glad that you're listening. If some of the things that I talk about, look, judge what I'm saying. I want to be held to the same standard I'm holding all these pastors to. Listen to what I say, and if there's no biblical support for what I say, ignore it, okay? And if you're going to a church that you're hearing some things that are said that are not supported in the Bible and in many cases against what's in the Bible, you need to seriously consider, is that where God wants you to be? Because that's some false teaching that is now infiltrated into the church and we got it all over the place. So don't be ignorant, okay? Learn the Bible and learn when you hear something, is that what the Bible says? And if it's not, pray, but it would be my advice to get the heck out of there and go find a church that is going to help you grow in your spiritual maturity by teaching you what the Bible says rather than a bunch of other stuff outside the Bible. Okay, enough of that soapbox. 
Any questions about that? Because that is happening all over the place. It is so sad. It's happening all over the city. I mean, all over everywhere. Our churches are full of false teaching. Full of it, okay? Beware. You've been warned, and that's what Paul is talking about here. Okay, let me go back to the text. I'm in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. So he's saying by the time Timothy returned, Paul is in Corinth when Timothy actually returned to him, and he got this good news. And the good news that he got was that they were doing well, they were growing and maturing in their faith, And this good news that he's talking about, too, good news of your faith, is referring to the gospel. Their faith was real. They had saving faith. They had authentic love for Jesus Christ. They weren't being influenced in a negative way by the false teaching that was going on there all around them. They still had cherished memories of Paul. They trusted him. They saw in him that he was an authentic apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they wanted to see him. So he says in verse 7, For this reason, brethren, these are believers, in all our distress and affliction, so all the persecution that Paul was enduring, in all of that, we were comforted about you through your faith. So Paul was greatly comforted by their true saving faith, even when he was having to go through and withstand a lot of trials and testing on his own. They brought encouragement to him. Verse 8, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. So this gave renewed zeal to Paul in his own ministry because he saw how effective it had been with those in Thessalonica. Let me show you over in his second letter to them, and we'll get there eventually. I'm just going to go over there real quick. 2 Thessalonians 2, just over to the right if you want to go over there. I'll begin in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel, see, through the gospel that Paul shared with them, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So he's talking about the things that they had learned from Paul when he was there with them. And that brought him just tremendous comfort, even in the face of his own trials. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? So Paul is so thankful for their spiritual growth and maturity, and all the thanks and glory goes to God because of it. He was grateful to God, and that gave him joy beyond what he could even express to God. And so as I was preparing for this lesson, what really hit me right here is, am I as thankful as Paul is for the work that I see God doing in others? I mean, I pray for you all all the time, but I have some work to do. Does it rise to this level where like even when I'm fighting the lightning and plumbing and everything am I thinking about you and having tremendous joy in the midst of the you know what that I'm going through because I love you guys so much is that me is that you could the same be said for any of us and so I think this is one big lesson we should take away 
and we've talked about it before, all the trials that we read about Paul and imprisonments and beatings and everything he went through, he never complains about it ever, ever. And here he's saying, I have tremendous joy because I know I can see you all maturing in your faith. And I see that in you all as well. Those who have been coming here for a long time, I mean, I see how dedicated and I see just in your words and actions and the stories that we talk about. I see you growing in your faith, and that does give me tremendous joy. Hey, Larry, one thing that I really thought was neat about this, that you may have already said it, but Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica. Yes, and he and, got run out of town. And, I then, didn't mention and so that. to have this much love for guys he only knew for that shorter time, and just be concerned and writing letters and in prayer. I think it's just a really powerful testimony of the way that he connected with people just really genuinely, really quickly. That's good. Thank you. Verse 10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So he's thankful and as thankful and joyful as he is for their growth and their faith, he still keeps praying and interceding for them. He's praying that they continue to grow up spiritually and mature in their faith. And he couldn't wait to see them again so that he could teach them more and minister to them. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord. So he's equating God the Father and Jesus. You see that he's equating those as he should to parts of the Holy Trinity. May they direct our way to you. So he was hoping that he was going to get to see them since he had been run out of town. He still longed for them. And it's interesting that he links God the Father and Jesus here because it's our personal relationship with Jesus that gives us the ability to go directly to God the Father through the Son. It's Jesus that has restored our relationship with God the Father. And so beginning here in verse 11, Paul is going to pray that the will of God be accomplished in their lives, and I think also in our lives as believers. He was hoping that he would get back to them, by the way, because we know Paul never did. He was never able to return to them. But months later, he will then write Second Thessalonians that we'll get to eventually. And we're going to see, as I read already over in Second Thessalonians 1.3, where he congratulates them because now he's heard that their faith has even grown and matured greatly even beyond when he was writing this. So they continue to grow, and he always gives thanks to God because of that. Verse 12, you can see what he's praying. He's praying for that. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men just as we also do for you. So growing in the ability to love others is a sign of your spiritual maturity. Our flesh is so focused on self. And if you look at our culture, what is it focused on? It's all self. Everything is self. My independence, my rights, my this, my that. I got to control my body and my reproductive system. And, you know, it's all about me. Everything is focused on me. Look at social media, all about me. The only way out of this is to have the Holy Spirit change our hearts and begin to enable us to focus on others. And he's going to talk about this love that we should have as believers. Verse 13, he's saying, so that he being Jesus Christ, may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. It's interesting. I told you that every chapter in First Thessalonians 
near the end, he's going to talk about Jesus' second coming. So here's one more time. We've seen it every chapter so far. We'll see it all the way through. He's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's us. So remember how this happens. The rapture happens first. We all go up to join him. And in some places, as you read through this, it's not always clear if he's talking about the rapture when we go up, his appearing, or the second coming when we come back with him. Here he's saying when we come back with him, with the coming of our Lord, with his saints, because we will come back in glory with him. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to give you some verses for all of this that I'm talking about here. We have some time, so I'll peel this onion back a little bit further. Let me begin. Let's go over to 1 John, and I want you to look at this, even though it's short. Go over to 1 John. Go all the way back to Revelation, and then the epistles of John, not the gospel of John, are just before Revelation. So go to 1 John, and let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says, Beloved, and that's talking about believers, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. So that's when our sanctification process is completed. We will then be conformed to the image and nature of Jesus Christ. We aren't gods. We're there to bring glory to him, but we will be like him. We will be sinless. And again, it's not clear. That's still kind of a mystery to us, but that's what we're promised. All right. And let me show you another one. Go back over to Thessalonians, and we'll just flip a page, just one page. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, because we'll get there soon. And again, you can see this is at the end of chapter 5, talking about the same thing. I told you at the end of each chapter. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. So finish the sanctification process. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's an ongoing process. We've talked about sanctification. It's an ongoing process. Once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, then that's when the process begins and it will continue until our death or earlier arrival of Jesus Christ by way of rapturing us up. And the word sanctify, it means to be set apart from sin to holiness. That's what it means. It's a past act. God views us as being sanctified. So it's done. It's completed in his eyes. But we still have our flesh that we got to deal with. Past action with continuing results. There you go. Past action, continuing results. And it will not be completed until our death or rapture out of here. Okay, I want you to have a good grasp of that. And so then what's going to happen is we're then going to be judged. Everyone's judged. But believers, we aren't judged in terms of our sin because our sin has already been paid for. We are promised eternal life. So we're not judged for our salvation. Our salvation and eternal life is promised to us. We are judged by how did we live our lives? How did we make ourselves available to be an instrument for the Holy Spirit to work through? What did we do with the opportunities that God had given us? So we'll be judged on that basis in what is called the judgment seat of Christ. Let me show you where that comes from. I know we've talked about some of this before, but people can get kind of confused. 
since Paul's talking about this in each one of these chapters, let's get a good foundation for that. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.10 first. So go over to the left to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is right after Romans, which is right after Acts, which is right after the Gospels, four Gospels. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear, and this is believers. Non-believers don't appear before the judgment seat of Christ. They go to the great white throne judgment. That's different. I'll point that out here in a second if we have time. So I'm in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That's while we're here on earth, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So everything we've done, it won't be judgment for our sin. It will be how did we do with the opportunities that God gave us? Every relationship that we have, did we make ourselves available as an instrument that God could use? That's what we're going to be judged by. We've talked about it before. Our good works that we do, it's not us anyway. It's the Holy Spirit doing those through us. You can go look at Ephesians 2, verse 10, if you want a little more on that. Okay, let me show you another one, which is right by there. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 3. Just flip over to the left. We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I've got so many, I don't have time for all of them, so I'm just picking and choosing here. Okay, let me show you this one. This is also related to how we will be judged as believers. Verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. These are believers. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. These are our rewards that we get in heaven. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. So the judgment seat of Christ, we go through this process We show our works. We show what has been done. Think of it as sort of a performance review. Hopefully we all have something that we did good. But if you became a Christian, and even if you didn't have anything good to speak of, it's all just going to be burned up. You'll still be saved, but you're going to suffer a loss of rewards is what this is saying. Okay? Let me show you one more while we're in 1 Corinthians. I'll just keep that consistent. Go over to 1 Corinthians 4, 5, just a little bit further. Next chapter over says, therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. And that's referring to the second coming of Christ. But wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So people sometimes get confused. Well, yeah, like, I know I've got some good works. This is an easy one to use as an example. I mean, I give to this certain charity every year. So I know I've at least done some good work because, you know, when you give big money to charity, they always put your name real prominently somewhere, what level of donor you are. Well, you know what? You did it. It was a good thing. But what this is saying is you did it for the wrong motive. 
You did it to bring glory to yourself. And so you've got your reward. That one's going to be burned up when you're standing at the judgment seat of Christ. Our motives are going to be judged. Even though we may think, yeah, I'm doing some good things every now and then. Well, what's the motive behind it? Is it to bring glory to you or to bring glory to God? If you're not bringing glory to God, then it's not going to be a good works that you'd be rewarded for. Let me give you one more for today. Well, I got two more. I'll just take you over there. I'm going to go to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter is back over right before 1 John, where we were just a minute ago. If you want to go look over there with me, 1 Peter 1, and I'll begin in verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, the things we did before we knew that they were really wrong. You know, there are a lot of people that don't even view today living together, not married, as even a sin. If you did, you were ignorant, but now you know better. So don't keep doing it, is what he's saying. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. I just read that. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not redeemed in verse 18 by all this perishable stuff. And unfortunately, there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of religions that still profess that you got to do a bunch of religious stuff. You got to keep rules. You got to do these sacraments. You got to do this in order to earn your way. All right. And this is clearly saying, you know what? You can't earn it. And I've showed you, I won't take you over there today, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's not by your works. It is a gift. And knowing that, and knowing that Jesus' precious blood is what has saved us, that should have the impact to change our hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit so that we live a life that reflects that we are Christians, that shows that we love others. Because that's evidence of saving faith, that we have the ability to love and care and have concern for others and pray for others rather than always focusing on ourselves. So let me sum up what we've talked about today. We should expect trials and persecution in our life. We need to ask the Holy Spirit daily and throughout the day to help us grow and mature in our faith And when we're going through trials, say, hey, I don't know what this is all about, but you're up to something. Teach me what you want me to learn. Get me through this. I know you're with me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to get frustrated with it. Whatever your plan is, your will, just show me and help me through this. We should pray for others to mature spiritually and be an encouragement to them. When we see others growing and we see their maturity Point it out. Say, man, I saw this or I saw you go through that or whatever. The way you handled that, man, that was an encouragement to me because I know you couldn't have done it without the Holy Spirit helping you through it. 
And I'm going to leave you with this. Are all of our relationships characterized by love and caring for others? Jesus gave us a test that said, if you really want to know if you're a Christian, did you know there was a test? Let me show you. I've showed it to you before. Go over to John 13, the Gospel of John, fourth Gospel. John 13, I'll start in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus talking, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And here's the test. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do people know that we're Christians? If I went and took a survey of people that you're close to or people you work with, would they go, I know Larry's a Christian. I mean, that guy loves on us and cares about us more than anybody. Or I heard it just the other day. I wish I could remember who said it. It was on a podcast I was listening to. And some of you may have heard the podcast as well. It's about, is there enough evidence to convict us as Christians? If we were placed on trial for love, would we be found guilty? That was the same one that we heard, and that exactly. Do we have enough evidence to show that we are guilty of loving? Okay, I don't want you to think this is works-related salvation, but if there, just think of this, I think it illustrates what we're saying in terms of love for others. If you get into heaven, you had to present evidence of your life and evidence that showed that you loved others and you cared for others and that you truly lived your life as a Christian, how much of that evidence would you have? I mean, would you have like volumes of it or just a little bit of it? I don't know. That resonated with me. Certainly an area that I need to focus on and improve. Even the people who are out right now protesting about Roe v. Wade and everything else, we are called to love them. We've got to show love to them because if we just react negatively towards them, they're not going to see Jesus Christ. And God wants to save everyone, and he wants to use us as an instrument for that to happen. So how available are we, and what kind of love are we showing to others, even people that we don't necessarily really like? I had another pastor just this past week that I was listening to say, you know, my problem right now is I've surrounded myself with too many Christians. I need to have more non-Christians so God can use me as an instrument. I've gotten too comfortable. It's part of my job to minister to Christians, but I also need to get some non-Christians around me, which I thought was very instructive. So questions, comments? Larry, my mom had a saying she repeated, if I'm ever accused of being a Christian, I hope there's enough evidence to convict me. Yeah, that's good. Does everyone have a good grasp as best we can. I mean, I know it's a mystery. I'm not asking you to say like, yeah, I've got this down. But in terms of the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ versus the great white throne judgment, is there a decent understanding there or are there still some questions about that? (laughs) I'm not clear on that. Do you have a, is that easily found in your podcast archive? i talk about it in several of them i can probably find some for you we've gone over to let me let me just go over there let me show you where the great white throne judgment is go over to revelation 20 verse 11 is where i'll start when this is happening 
this is after the rapture. This is after the millennial kingdom. So believers are already with Jesus Christ when this is happening here in verse 11. So this is just non-believers that are left. And it says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, these are non-believers, the great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. So the books of their life, there are all these books, everything they did in their life, these were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. That's the book that our names are written in as believers. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So these are unbelieving people. They didn't want to have Jesus pay their penalty. They wanted to do it their own way. They didn't need Jesus. So they're going to be judged just how they wanted. They're going to be judged on how they lived their life. And the book is going to be open on them. And that's what they're going to be judged from according to their deeds, just like they wanted. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Remember, these are all unbelievers because believers have already been raptured out. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. You see that? And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. None of these people will be in the book of life because believers have already joined and are reigning with Jesus and glorifying Jesus. So that's where all the wicked, unsaved end up. So that's where I get that. So you've got the two different judgments that take place. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. And then after that, that's when then there's the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll talk about that when we get into another Bible study. But all the people that their religion has now become climate change. It was global warming and the globe is going to warm. It's going to like melt to nothing. They think they can stop it. It went from global warming to climate change to now climate emergency. Well, they're going to have their own emergency. That's for sure. If they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're not going to be able to stop it. Because then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything else will pass away. Everything. And there will be no more sin, but everything. I mean, cultures, this earth, everything is going to melt down. But as Christians, we have nothing to fear. We should be totally at peace. God's got this. And he's given us the end of the story. And guess what? Jesus Christ wins. And we win with him as Christians. What tremendous peace that he's given us. Thank you for joining us today. Larry would love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to Larry at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and Larry's weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. We hope you will join us next time as we continue our study.